What kind of things make us feel like we just can't keep going in this Christian life? What steals our joy and motivation to persist on this faith journey? Welcome to Him We Proclaim. Today, John Fonville addresses the doctrine of persistence and how to keep from falling into one of the oldest traps of earning our way back to God after we sin as a believer. The good news is Christ has already made a way for us, and we'll hear our prayers. Let's wrap up our mini-series called How to Keep Going. Here's John with Never Let the Doctrine of Persistence Become the Covenant of Works, Part 1. The question that we're looking at is how do you keep going? In other words, how do you continue to persevere? We've looked at four insights so far. The first one is this, is we saw that uh, you have to have this realistic understanding of the Christian life, this side of the new heavens and the new earth. Christian perfection does not come until death or until Christ returns, right? The second thing we looked at was you have to consider the mixed nature of the lives of believers throughout redemptive history. I, that was the famous Jerry Springer sermon that I took everybody through, that everybody will always remember that you came to church for a Jerry Springer show. We looked at the different lives of the so-called superheroes, super saints in the scriptures, and we saw from the biblical account that all believers, at their very best, are simultaneously justified and yet sinners. As we're struggling with our sin, it is comforting and encouraging to know that even the best of the super saints in the Bible, you know, King David, Abraham, Moses, I mean, you just name it, Peter or the Apostle Paul, all of them at their very best were just simultaneously justified in sinners, just like we are. Third, we saw this is that be assured that grace abounds to Christians who sin. Let us never lose sight of the comforting truth that Christ's death saves even Christians from their sin, that there's room at the cross for Christians as well. Then the fourth truth we looked at last week was from Psalm 6. Psalm 6 is a psalm of David where David is actually at some point in his life because of some unspecified sin that he had committed, he was actually experiencing a dark night of the soul. And so Psalm 6 is all about the dark night of the soul. And so what we saw from Psalm 6 is, is we have to learn, like David, how to respond properly when we find ourselves in a dark night of the soul, crying out to God continuously on the basis of his mercy to save us from our sins. And so we looked at that in depth. And that brings us to a fifth insight this week, which is this, is that, uh, you know, when you're walking in darkness and you're just struggling with your sin and you just don't feel like you can keep going and that the scales are tipping further and further in favor of your failures versus your qualifications and the fruit of your life that you know should be there but seems so strangely absent and painfully absent. Here's the fifth insight that I think will be helpful to you. Never allow the doctrine of perseverance to be turned into a covenant of works. So we're going to look at that in detail. So what do I mean by this? Okay, so just hang tight with me, and I think by the end you're going to, Lord willing, the light bulbs will be going, oh, yes, okay. So what, what do I mean by turning the doctrine of perseverance into a covenant of works? Okay, first... We have to understand the difference 
between what's called the covenant of grace and the covenant of works. Let me make this just as simple for you as I can. The covenant of works, which is the law, says this to you. Do this and live. All right? Jesus teaches us this principle of the covenant of works, the law, in Luke 10, 25 through 28, when he encounters an expert in the interpretation of the Mosaic covenant. All right, sometimes in scripture, it's uh, in Luke 10, he's called, uh, translated as a lawyer, right? A lawyer stood up to Jesus, verse 25, to put him to the test, saying, teacher, Listen to this. Now, listen to the contradiction here. What shall I do to inherit? <laughs> do you see the immediate contradiction there? An inheritance is a gift. It is not something you merit or do to get it. An inheritance is something that you just go sit down and have somebody else read to you the terms of your inheritance, which is a gift to you, which you've done nothing your whole life to deserve or earn yourself. And so this expert in the Mosaic Covenant says, I want to test Jesus here and put him to the test. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, he says, okay, do you want to talk about the covenant of works? You want to talk about the law? Let's talk about not inheritance, which is the gospel. Let's talk about the law, because that's your question. Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, and you just heard the law read to you this morning. Listen, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment, right? And Jesus said to him, listen carefully, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. That's where it comes from, you see. This is what the law says to us. Do this and live. Do this and you will live. Love God perfectly in thought, word, and deed from the moment of your conception in your mother's womb and love your neighbor in thought, word, and deed perfectly from the moment of conception, never having for one split millionth of a second deviated from that and you will live. In contrast, the covenant of grace, which is the gospel, says something totally different. The covenant of grace comes to us and says, Christ did it for you. Live, exclamation point. Come to life. Be a new creature. Have your sins forgiven. Your sins are forgiven, Jesus would say to people. Take heart, your sins are forgiven, right? Therefore, go and do this. That's totally different from do this and you will live versus live. Therefore, because you're alive by grace, now go do this. Do you see the difference here? Is everybody tracking with me? This is vitally critical for you to get. 
Paul makes this clear, the covenant of grace clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. He says, for by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's an inheritance. It's a gift. Faith, salvation is not from works so that no one can boast, take credit for it, say, I did this. Then listen, here come the good works. For we are his creative work, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works, unto good works. Listen, the preposition here is not by good works. Listen, that God prepared beforehand so we can do them. And so this is vital for you to get. I want you to get this. Listen carefully. As believers, we post-fall, right? Post-fall, after Genesis chapter 3, we do not live under a covenant of works. Let me say it like this. We do not relate to God on this principle where he says to you, do this and you will live. Is everybody tracking? We don't live under a covenant of works. Do this and you will live. Rather, post-fall, we live under a covenant of grace where God says to all of us, live, exclamation point. Come to life, right? Have your sins forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So live, therefore, in light of the fact of who you are in Christ, because now you're living, do this. Does everybody see the difference? Let me give you an example of how the doctrine of perseverance has turned into a covenant of works. How the doctrine of perseverance, what is perseverance? It is God's power and grace that sustains us to the very end despite our temptation and sin and our failure. Everybody got that? Here is an example of the doctrine of perseverance that has turned into do this and live, into a covenant of works for the Christian life. Listen to what this popular author and conference speaker, he's an evangelical or professed evangelical, listen to what he writes in a very famous book that he's written. This comes from page 249 of his book. Quote, He says, I am hard-pressed to imagine something more important for our lives than fulfilling the covenant that God has made with us for our final salvation, end quote. Did you hear that? I'm hard-pressed to imagine something more important for our lives than fulfilling the covenant that God has made with us for our final salvation, end quote. This is a crystal clear example of how you take the doctrine of perseverance and turn it into a covenant of works. Let me paraphrase what this author's saying. God did his part to get you started, 
Now you must persevere by your performance in your obedience and do your part to obtain final salvation. Does that sound like good news to you? Let me ask you a simple question that I think all of us can answer without having to spend the next 10 minutes explaining the, the answer to it. Who can fulfill any covenant in Scripture that God has made? Please raise your hand. Who in Scripture, what person in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation has fulfilled any covenant that God has ever made? That's what I like to ask that author. Let me just go through a couple covenants in Scripture just to make this very clear. Adam, who is called the Son of God, failed to keep the covenant of works pre-fall in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapters 2 and 3. Well, actually, Genesis 1 through 3, but we see it in Genesis 3 when he actually broke the covenant. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All of us broke the covenant of works. It's pretty clear, isn't it? So I don't think Paul's saying, but there are some of you who have done your part and cooperated with God and you fulfilled the covenant, so you're going to obtain your final salvation. No, all have sinned. So Adam, who was the son of God, he failed. He didn't keep the covenant of works, all right? Let's look at the next son of God. Who was, who was the next son of God in Scripture? It's called the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31, Hosea 11, verse 1. The Scriptures call Israel God's son. What did God's son do throughout the entire Old Testament story? Well, they failed to keep the Mosaic Old Covenant, which was simply a republication of the original covenant of works in the garden with Adam. And so here's the question. If the law, the Mosaic Covenant, could not give life and salvation, why did God give Israel the Mosaic Old Covenant? Why did he give them the law? Turn to Galatians chapter 3, and Paul answers this for us in great detail, beginning at verse 19. So take your Bibles, if you have it, and begin reading with me at Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. I'm just going to give you a paraphrase of the argument that Paul is giving here. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, Paul begins this. He says, why then the law? Why did God give the law? What does he mean by the law here? In this context, he's talking about the Mosaic covenant, the old covenant. Why did God give the Mosaic old covenant? He says, it was added, the Mosaic covenant was added because of transgressions. Look in verse 21. Is the Mosaic Covenant contrary to the promises of God? What is he talking about? He said, is the Mosaic Covenant contrary to the Abrahamic Covenant? You see, throughout the book of Galatians, when Paul 
uh, almost in every instance, not quite, but almost in every instance, when Paul uses the term law in Galatians, he's saying the Mosaic covenant. And when he says promise in the book of Galatians, he's talking about the Abrahamic covenant. So listen to what he says. He says, is the Mosaic covenant contrary to the Abrahamic covenant? Because in Galatians chapter three, verse eight, Paul actually calls the Abrahamic covenant, Galatians 3 verse 8, the gospel beforehand, the gospel in promise. So that the Abrahamic covenant was a free promise about an inheritance that God grants as a great king to those who don't deserve it based on his performance, not their performance. But the Mosaic covenant was a principle of law based on you must do this to get this. And Paul says, when God gave salvation, justification by grace through faith in Christ alone, when he gave the Abrahamic covenant, the gospel, on the basis of grace and free promise, and then 430 years later, he gave the Mosaic covenant, which said, do this and live. Paul is asking this. He says, is the Mosaic covenant then changing the Abrahamic covenant so that salvation is no longer by grace through faith in Christ alone, but now salvation is God gets you in, but you got to cooperate to be finished. And Paul says, certainly not. The Mosaic and Abrahamic covenants are not contrary. He says, if law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law, by the Mosaic covenant. He says, but verse 22, the scripture, what is the scripture here? He's talking about the Mosaic covenant. He says, but the Mosaic covenant imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ given in the Abrahamic covenant might be given to those who believe, not to those who do this and live. Look at verse 24. He says, so then the Mosaic covenant was our guardian, our strict disciplinarian until Christ came so that in order that we might be justified by faith as promised in the gospel beforehand, the Abrahamic covenant. Do you see Paul's argument What Paul is saying is that why did God give the Mosaic Covenant? He gave it to serve as this strict disciplinarian to show Israel and to show us that no man can be justified by works of the law. You cannot be justified and saved initially or finally by do this and live. It's impossible. He gave the Mosaic Covenant to show us that without a doubt, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside. No one does good, not even one, Paul says in Romans chapter 3. You see, the strictness of the Mosaic Covenant, the old covenant, which was the law, was intended by God to point us not to our ability, but to our sin, so that we would look to Christ so that Israel will turn and look to Christ, to the Son of God, because who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. Who was Adam? He was the disobedient Son of God. Who was Israel? He was the disobedient Son of God. None of them kept the covenants that God had made, that none of them fulfilled them so that they would obtain final salvation. None of them. 
only one son of God who eventually came did this. This is why the the Mosaic Covenant points us to the only son of God who did fulfill the law's demand of do this and live, Leviticus 18.5, which says do this and live. That's where Jesus gets that from in Luke 10, verse 28. This is why the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, listen, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He fulfilled the penalty of the law. He fulfilled the curse for us. This is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, but when the fullness of time came, God the Father sent forth his son, born of a woman. Listen, born under the law. Why? So that he might redeem those who were under the law, which said, do this and live. And we haven't done this and lived. We've actually done the opposite, and we've died. And so Jesus came and did for us what we could never do. He lived the kind of life in conformity to the entire law of God, and he did this and lived for us. You see, here's our problem. As fallen human beings, we think that we can save ourselves or at least we can contribute something to our salvation by fulfilling the covenant that God has made with us for our final salvation. Somehow we think that we can pull this off. Self-justification is deeply woven into the fabric of our souls. We're tempted to think in our self-righteousness that we can do this and live, at least partly. But you see, this kind of wrong thinking is precisely why God gave the Mosaic Covenant. Listen to what this one Bible teacher writes about that. He says, God demanded of his son Israel obedience to his law to merit the blessings of the covenant. If Israel could earn the earthly blessings by their obedience, then there might be a chance for a fallen man to earn his way to heaven. Yet, generation after generation failed. They failed miserably. Israel was barely off the shores of the Red Sea when Aaron had already made the golden calf. They had already broken the Ten Commandments before they even got them. In Judges, each generation intermarried with the Canaanites and worshiped their gods. Regarding the Davidic covenant, every single king failed in Israel. Every son of David was a miserable failure. Despite all his wisdom and riches, Solomon lusted after the gods of his many wives. Then every king, one after another, kept sinning against the Lord. Some were better than others, but none of them could prevent the curses of the Mosaic Covenant from coming. Israel could not stay in God's presence by means of the Mosaic Covenant, the law. They could not earn life with God. Even after such a powerful lesson as the exile, Jesus came and found Israel led by a brood of vipers where even the teachers of the Mosaic Covenant were called whitewashed tombs. 
Without a doubt, the Mosaic Covenant paints across history the lives of real people that no man can be justified by works of the law. Rather, none is righteous. And then they ask this question, do you think that you can in some way, ever so small, earn something from God? It's a good question. He says, if you think this, think again and look at Israel. Even the impressive piety of Moses and David is not good enough. Moses struck the rock and he died outside the promised land. David slept with Bathsheba and commanded the census and was punished. As the fallen children of Adam, we need to become the righteousness of God to have everlasting life in heaven with God. But there's no way we can do this ourselves, even with the help of God's grace. Rather, this is what he says. He says, we need one to do it all for us. And he says, in this one we find in Jesus Christ. He is the righteous one. He is the true Adam. He is the son of God. Listen, who was born under the law and of a woman. He is the true Israel who remained obedient to death, even death on a cross. Thanks, John. That's a message called Never Let the Doctrine of Persistence Become a Covenant of Works, Part 1. It's from the mini-series called How to Keep Going. We'll hear the conclusion of this message next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, You can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.